everyone to episode two of the Red Arrow Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jessica Tomasi, and I'm joined by my husband, Marco. Hi, how are you? I'm all right. Good. What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking, well, this is going to sound kinky, but it's uh, Corsets, Whips, and Whiskey by Journeyman Distillery. It's a cask strength whiskey. It's organic. Ooh. It's kosher. Fantastic. It's certified. (laughs) It's local grains. That's awesome. It's yummy. Good. And are we sponsored by Journeyman Distillery? I wish we were, but we're not. It's just really good. And it's not too far away. It is a bummer. It is a bummer. I would love to be (laughs) sponsored by Journeyman. Um, Mainly because we've got a lot of their products in our liquor cabinet. We do. They're all tasty. They're all tasty. They're all paid for by us. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I would love it if they tossed a few of my favorite whiskeys my way. But whatever. We're drinking it. What are you drinking tonight? I am having a glass of the Weekend Craft White by Red Barn Distillery. Red Barn? What the hell's Red Barn? Round Barn. Yeah. <laughs> How many of those glasses have you had tonight? Maybe a couple. Has it been one of those days? It has for sure been one of those days. I mean, I know it was one of those days from my perspective. That's why I'm very happy to be having, uh, of course, it's whips and whiskey. Uh, what all happened on your end? Well, the three-year-old crawled in bed with me this morning and woke me up and immediately started talking to me. And she did not stop talking to me until we put her to bed tonight. Non-stop talking, and she's decided not to take naps anymore, and so that's super fun. Is it bad that I'm not sympathetic, given that uh, I was already up and downstairs with two of the four kids? Yeah, but they don't talk at you incessantly. No, they were off playing video games at that point. I just made sure they had breakfast. Hmm. Hmm. Well. Actually, they were up beforehand. But they're pretty self-sufficient. They are. And yes, by like 9 a.m., we had to make sure the 10-year-old got to bed because she's 10 going on college sophomore. (laughs) It's like, come on, kid. Uh, You're 10. When you're 21, when you're 20, when you're 18, 19, yes, you can sleep till noon or 1, or you can try. But you're 10. You should be up playing video games or chatting online with your friends or something. Reading books. Reading books, painting your nails, playing with Legos. Not sleeping in. Not at, like, as I'm trying to get you downstairs for dinner when you were playing with Legos, which is totally cool. I mean... There's nothing wrong with Legos, but it's like, don't sleep until like 9 or 10 when you're 10 years old. No. So what happened to to you on your end today with the kids? Oh, it was uh, number one son's, uh, kid number two's turn to cook dinner tonight. He got to pick the menu item and he was supposed to cook it with a little parental assistance, which shouldn't do a lot of parental assistance. And boy, was that fun. It's always an adventure with him. Oh, it is always an adventure with him. Uh, those of you who paid attention to or tuned into our last podcast, yep, he was the kid in question with the photographer. <laughs> and, you know, he was, what, four at that time? Five? Four. Four? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now he's nine. Um, 
but he's still, I mean, I love that little guy, but, oh my, sometimes he pushes my buttons. And tonight was one of those nights, especially when we're cooking dinner, we're working on all the the entree, the sides, the dessert. We get to making some chocolate chip cookies, and especially for mom and dad who, you know, are trying to go low-carb, trying to watch their sugar intake. And so I've got some stevia-enriched chips just for you and me to use. And I go and get the bag. And it's a partially open bag that I had sealed in a Ziploc bag. And I get to it, and it's got, like, two chips in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was half a bag last time I used it. So then it gets into where they all go. And this is, you know, number one son had previously been busted for going through the Giardelli chocolate chips. And just picking out on him for a pre-breakfast. He's a little bit like a hobbit. You know, it's pre-breakfast, <laughs> breakfast, second breakfast, noonsies, or mid-breakfast, then noonsies, or, you know, on down the line. Second lunch, uh, mid-afternoon snack, second mid-afternoon snack, pre-dinner, dinner. You know, he eats nonstop. Uh, but he got into the, the uh, Giardelli chocolates a while back. So he got chewed out a little bit. I mean, you know, we're not too mean to our kids. But, we're know, not mean to our kids at all, so we're clear. But, you know, I, I'm Italian, so, you know, well, you know, we're not spankers or anything, but, you know, the uh, it's hard to remove that genetic gene for the Italian guilt trip. Yes. I think it's ingrained in all of our I, children. I think so. we catch them doing it to each other. You know what? You're Italian through marriage, and sometimes you're you're the Italian mom. Someday down the line, hopefully very very far down the line, you'll be an Italian grandma, even though genetically you're like almost not not Italian at all. Not. But you'll forever be an Italian grandma. Um, so you know that, and you know through my background, I've got a little human to human intelligence interrogation technique type thing. So it's like. I'll ask you questions. I won't be mean. I won't yell. I'll actually get quieter. And somehow our kids just have this guilt. And as I ask these questions, they just get more and more guilty and burst into tears. Number one kid, uh, number one daughter is the worst about it. Remember when she was little, I used to just sit around the counter, the kitchen counter, and ask her questions. You're around the corner laughing. Uh, and every so often I had to tag out with you like it was some sort of professional wrestling thing um, because I needed to go laugh, too. And it was, you know, it wasn't loud. It was actually getting quieter and quieter and quieter and turned into a whisper. And she just burst into tears. And she's still like that. She's got such a guilty conscience. Number one son has it, too. He'll he'll throw out like one or two lies and then he folds. Um, kid should not be a professional uh, poker player when he gets older. No. The kid has all kinds of tells. Yeah. It would be terrible. Not only does he have all kinds of tells, I mean, you know, someone's going to, you know, raise him on a bluff and he's going to fold. Well, we haven't tested him in playing cards yet, but I've seen what he's like when he plays Monopoly. And Uno. And Uno. He starts celebrating by the time he's got three cards left in his hand. Well, Monopoly, he's like going to be the first kid in the family who tosses the uh, table upside down. That's That's true. And runs away, yeah. That's why we play on the floor. He can't flip the floor. Can't flip the floor. He might flip the table. He even on the floor he might flip the board. 
But then again, if you think about it, um, you know, what family doesn't have that kind of dynamic going on? Every single one. So anyway, he got into our, our, instead of being sugar-based chocolate chips, they were stevia-based. Those of you who know and go out for these, you know, sugar alternatives, um, they're not cheap. And it doesn't exactly make parents happy when it's like, look, you know, you can eat whatever you want. You're not. We don't restrict diet on our kid. Um, But we're kind of restricted on what we can eat. And we'll get into that in a later episode, you know, on how we handle our diet. Um, It's not the core of this podcast, but, you know, it's what we're doing. We've been playing with it for 20 years trying to tune this into what works for us. Uh, but he's down there. He's going to town. You know, he apparently went to town on half a bag of stevia-based chocolate chips. Oh. They don't even taste that great. No, that was actually one thing I called him out on. Like, dude, do they even taste good? He's like, no, they don't. <laughs> I'm like, but you ate half a bag. And then we find out as we're drilling down through all this, when did you do this? Oh, he's been getting up early. Uh before getting before we're supposed to wake him up and everything, he's been getting up early, coming down to the kitchen pre-breakfast, going to town on first. He was going to town on the Giardelli chocolate chips, and when he got in trouble on that, he decided to switch to the stevia-based chocolate alternative chips, which are what easily quadruple the price. Yeah, uh, and went to town on those because I guess that was okay in nine-year-old logic. Nine-year-old logic is baffling. Yeah, nine-year-old logic, which turns into uh, dad's having a whiskey tonight again. You know, <laughs> usually this is supposed to be a once-a-week podcast, but here we are on back-to-back nights. But really, it's part two, and it was easier for us to do back-to-back nights versus doing two hours of recording. Um, because you know, after an hour, we need a break. And guess what? Now, thanks to Number one son, we got more material to talk about. Indeed. <laughs> oh, there'll be there'll be plenty to talk about in episodes story. going okay. for us. Anyway, what'd you have for dinner tonight? Not um, like I wasn't sitting next to you. We had uh let's see. We had keto friendly chocolate chip cookies for yeah, dinner we did. tonight. <laughs> they were delicious. <laughs> Because being in, that's the other reason why we found out about the uh, missing chocolate chips. Because when you're an adult, you can somehow sit there with your four children and say, we're having cookies for dinner. Yep. They didn't. You and I did. Mm-hmm. Number one son cooked dinner for the rest of them. And it was a honey mandarin orange glazed chicken with Spanish rice. And boy, it looked delicious. And the only way to counter that was the fact that we had chocolate chip cookies. And yep. Actually, I had chocolate chip cookies and a small whiskey at that point. And you were having chocolate chip cookies and wine. But all four kids actually ate dinner tonight. Yeah, they did. The that fact was... that they they had, you know, the three older ones were very suspicious, had one bite of the Spanish rice, and their eyes got huge, and they went back in for more. Number four. She has some interesting mealtime behaviors. Oh, who looked at it and said, yeah, I got to go potty with my tablet. Mm-hmm. Was in there for about forty-five minutes. Oh my god! And, and then, then she came she out. Came out and said, mm, "I don't think I'm going to be eating that tonight." But she eventually did. I don't want this. What's for dessert? It's like <laughs> doesn't matter unless you eat dinner. 
So, you know, needless to say, whether you got degrees in psychology or not, meal times with your kids is pretty much the same as everybody else. Anyway. So, I think we should uh, dive into who this Marco person is. Shall we? Yeah. So, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Michigan. I am the offspring of two youpers. <clears throat> Amazingly, you don't have an accent. Well, that's because I'm not a youper. My parents are youpers. Uh, my mom was born in the UP, but raised near Jackson, Michigan. She's fond of telling us that she went to Catholic school in Jackson. Um, but if you look into it, it's like, wait a minute, Mom, where was your school? Oh, yeah, down the street from Jackson State Penn. <laughs> Yes, one of the biggest prisons in Michigan. Way to go. Not one of the cool ones you hear about, like, through NHL channels, like, you know, up in the UP where the Red Wings went to go play. No, it's just the notorious, like, big bad prison scared of. Awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like what you think of if you've ever seen Office Space. It's federal, yeah, that kind of prison. (laughs) (laughs) It's like... But it's state, and it's like, you know, it's big old scary and deterrent to... No, don't do crime. Behave. Uh, my dad, though, was born in the UP, raised in the UP. Uh, my parents met at Michigan Tech. And then uh, after my dad graduated and finished working for a while, they moved down to the Lower Peninsula, started a family, kept working their way further south in Michigan. And I was born, what, like 35, 40 minutes from the Indiana border? Yep. About as far south as you can go in Michigan. Uh, so born and raised in southwest Michigan. Um, you know, and here we are back in Michigan. But uh, grew up here. I, I can't complain. It's it's the Sunset Coast. We're, we're not near Detroit. Nothing yeah, against think- Detroit. But, I mean, it's, it's quiet. Here. It's quiet here. It's a nice place to raise kids. Uh, we're close enough to Chicago, we're close enough to Detroit, we're close enough to Indianapolis where we can get to major cities when we want to, but we can kind of just chill the rest of the time. You know, I, I grew up here and really honestly hated this place growing up because there was Me too. nothing to do. Um, and then after moving away, and we can talk about that later, but after moving away and saying, I'm never coming back here, there's nothing to do, uh, <laughs> We got to the point where it's like, hey, we need to raise kids and we need a place that's nothing going on. So let's go back there. And a lower cost of living. Well, yeah, that too. But uh, and then we show up and it's like, holy crap, there's stuff for people to do here, at least our age. Uh, you know, at least like when I left in high school, it was like the coffee house boom was going on. And that was kind of cool. And that's, you know, if people wanted to find me, they found me at the coffee house. Yay, beatniks that went out of business forever ago, <laughs> like 20-some years ago. Um, and now if they want to find me, well, actually, now if they want to find me, I'm either at home or at the ice rink. But, um, you know, there's breweries, there's wineries, there's distilleries all through this west coast of, you know, Michigan and the southwest corner. It's like, it's a happening place. There's fun stuff to do. Uh, there's arts and crafts and all sorts of stuff going on. And it's, like, scary when people go, well, it's a retirement community. It's like, well, one, I'm not ready to retire. Actually, I would love to retire. I can't retire at this point. Um, 
but it's also like you know this was like manufacturing and agriculture and farm and orchard area growing up and now it's like vacation homes for chicago people and i would say it's vacation homes for detroit people but you know detroit's going through its own thing and trying to struggle and hang on so poor detroit um i will say detroit has a beautiful hockey area just recently went to Little Caesars Arena and, you know, I've been to United Center. United Center's great. I'm a huge Blackhawks fan, but Little Caesars Arena, not too shabby. That's a nice arena. Awesome. <laughs> okay, let's get back on track here. Okay. You're supposed to be moderating this whole thing. Well, you, you talk a lot. It's hard to interrupt. Whatever. Were you athletic as a kid? I was. Um, what did you do? <laughs> everything. Um... I mean, as a, a kid, like the big thing was Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got into it in first grade. Uh, I was I was like one of the shortest kids in my class growing up when I was little. Uh, similar to like one of our own children who is a little guy. Um, and similar to what your dad and my dad who had growth spurts later on and yep. suddenly became very tall. Uh, I was one of the shortest kids in my class. Uh, I was bullied when I was in first grade, not by other first graders, but by older kids. And so my parents decided, you know what, maybe we should teach them how to defend themselves. Uh, Ninja Turtles were really bursting on the scenes, and they put me in martial arts and happened to be there. So Taekwondo studio near the school. So we started doing that. My dad got into it. My, My best friend at the time got into it, and his dad. We did that for a while. Um, by the time uh, I was nine, I had my black belt. So my dad. And right after we got our black belts, uh, the owner of the school decided she wanted to sell. My dad and my best friend's dad were going to buy it together. My best friend's dad's lifelong dream was to own a martial arts academy. So my dad's like, yeah, whatever, you do it. And so he buys it. He uh, almost immediately gets promoted at his job. And has no time to run it. So a year later, he sells it off to my dad. And he's had it ever since. So that's like 30 years, pretty much. They've had this Taekwondo school. So uh, growing up, it was that was the family business. Um, and by the time you know I was teaching classes, I think by the time I was 12, I was an instructor. But even at 10, I was teaching portions of classes to adults. <laughs> To other kids. Uh, so I was doing that. Uh, I, I did, you know, mini basketball. And, you know, being one of the short kids trying to play basketball starting at third grade. It doesn't, it doesn't go well. Especially on a, a 10-foot hoop. It's like, no, nah, it wasn't going well. Uh, but I played that up through junior high. Uh, I started wrestling because, obviously, I was not good at basketball. I also found out partway through there that I needed glasses that, Probably would have helped my shooting accuracy when <laughs> the hoop is in focus. Um, but I got into wrestling. I uh, kept doing that all the way through junior high and high school. I ended up being the uh, captain of the wrestling team by my junior year. Uh, track and field, I was into that uh, quite a bit. Uh, kind of became, became a utility runner for uh, my coach. Uh, I think throughout the my high school and junior high uh, track career, I did every event um except pole vault which we didn't have at that time uh it was not part of our conference so now as a track coach i mean i feel like i can 
coach everything with confidence because I've done them all. Wasn't necessarily good at all the events, but I, I've done them all, except for pole vault, and that's the one I don't coach. Um, I ran cross country to get in shape for wrestling. Uh, I got recruited for football because I wrestled, which meant I understood a low center of gravity. And I ran track, but I was fast. So the football, one of the football coaches like, you got to come play football for us. And they had me all over the place. I was a defensive end, fullback. They had me a tackle at one point. It's like, yeah, I don't fully understand what I'm doing yet. Uh, <laughs> I understand football. I put it this way. I understand football better now, especially when I became a major college football fan, than I was when I was in high school playing football. Um, but honestly, I actually enjoyed cross country more. Um, but I hated my coach. Well, having a good coach is everything. <laughs> it is. And that one was like, it was so funny because in the classroom, he was one of my uh, middle school teachers. He was like, never let someone tell you what you can or can't do. Don't let them cap what you can or can't do. Don't tell them you, you know, set the limits. And then we'd go out to cross country or track practice and he's like, you can't do X. You can't do Y. It's like, wait a minute. We were just in the classroom. You can't give an inspirational inspirational speech and then like turn do a whole one eighty and not inspire me out here. Um, on track, it was funny because he was always you know in cross country he was always telling tell me what I couldn't do and you know I wasn't capable of. And then we go over track, and in track, I was actually more times a sprinter or middle distance, and he was trying to get me to be the distance runner. I'm like, nah, I'm track. I'm a sprinter. He's like, no, you can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Dude, I don't even want to work with you. He does crack me up, though. Even looking back, like my, uh, my runners sometimes go like, coach, you didn't do much today. Why are you in running shorts? I'm thinking back to my uh, cross-country coach who would come out in khakis <laughs> and a polo tell us what the day's assignment was and then go back to his office and do whatever and just leave us to do whatever and not like keep an eye on us. And You can't leave high schoolers unattended. <sighs> We're talking about middle schoolers, even middle schoolers and high schools. We got for a while. Like this guy was not even around when I got hit by a car doing cross country. I got hit by a car. He's just kind of wandering through. He had to go talk with the athletic trainer, which is the same athletic trainer we have now, like 20 some years later. Um, <clears throat> And then, like, he was talking about the status of one of our other runners who was injured. And he looks at the table, like, shocked that one of his runners, current runners, who's still supposed to be healthy, is laying on the table with a leg swelling. And he's like, what happened to him? Oh, he got hit by a car. <laughs> well, that sucks. And he walks out of the room. It's like, thanks, coach. Thanks for caring. Wow. Wow. If that happened today with one of your runners, you would get sued. Well, I'd get sued, but I also wouldn't respond the same way, and I also wouldn't be, you know. For sure not, but still. I, I would have been out. to imagine. I would have been out. Well, the mess. How about, well, let's not even get into how the parents would have responded. My parents didn't say boo they about it. not bat an eye. <laughs> no, things have changed, but, like, I would have been out and about. I would have been outside. I would have been, you know, spot checking throughout the course because that's how I run my team. It is most certainly, I, I've been interviewed a few times on local sports radio and they asked, do you run your team? Because the guy who does local sports radio knows who my coaches were coming up because he's also an alum from the same school I went to. It's like most certainly I am not, you know, my coaching style is not inspired by my coaches. Honestly, my coaching style is inspired by 
my college professors. Uh, it's inspired by my training as a behavioral psychologist. Has very little to do with the old, let's just yell and scream and have veins bug out of our head and to try to inspire them that way or, you know, make them feel bad. You know, let's use data, let's talk to them like they're actually intelligent human beings. Um, that's how I feel about, you know, I, I respect my runners and I, I think they can do better if you talk to them like they know what's going on. They're an active participant in what's going on versus they're just mindless machines running and if you scream louder, they go faster because that's not how they respond, especially with this current generation. They do not respond that way. Okay, but let's talk about that in another episode because you could go on for another two or three hours. Oh, easy. On your coaching strategies. So anyway. Let's move on. Well, we could still talk about what I was doing for exercise as a kid. Oh, we're not done yet. Okay. Yeah. You have more. I have more. Great. So uh, my brother and I loved hockey. There was no local hockey in Southwest Michigan at the time. So there were no indoor rinks. It's tragic. So we, uh, and the the biggest local rink actually didn't allow hockey sticks. So we would find frozen, yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious because like all the people now are like, oh, let's go to X Y, you know, let's go to this rink. I'm not going to call out the name, but it's like the you know the public rink in town. Uh, it was built. It's where the local high school team plays. Oh, everyone remembers this. Like, look, that thing didn't exist until I was gone from this town. I was up in college when they decided to build it. I had been praying for so long they would build a hockey rink when I was growing up. We used to go to frozen volleyball courts nearby, like one of the local libraries. We used to go to, uh, when they built a new elementary school for the school I went to, uh, the parking lot and the construction site left a depression behind the parking lot. It used to fill up with water and freeze. We'd go shovel that off and play there. Um, I didn't play indoor ice hockey until I was at college playing intramural hockey. Uh, we played a ton of roller hockey on parking lots. Nice. Rarely, in whether it was ice or roller, rarely with full pads. Of course not. Almost never with full pads, everyone. And so I didn't play indoor hockey until uh, I was up in the UP. So Why that, were you in the UP? I was in the UP because uh, I graduated high school and decided that, you know, I, I took the vocational test they had. They made us <laughs> take it on... On the the old apples with the five inch floppies that actually flopped, plugged it in. We had a, a vocational test we had to have, and most of my friends got one, maybe two pages of job codes. It was just line after line of job codes, uh, double column on these papers. You know the ones with the little dot and the holes on the sides oh, yeah. that come with the printer. Yeah, I got five and a half pages of just job codes, and then you got to go look up the jobs what you can be. And it was everything from uh, physicist and nuclear engineer to priest and guidance counselor. It was all over the map. Like, great, this really narrows it down for me. I should be everything from heavy into data and science down to interpersonal skills and thinking about human relations. Where's the one career for that? I had no idea. So I went with civil engineering uh, because marine biology that every, like, well, not every, but. I got oh, marine biology on mine, too. It was on mine, but almost every high schooler, like, oh, I want to work with marine biology and go work with dolphins and train dolphins. And, and that's yeah. not what it does anyway. 
anyways. Yeah, no, that's what it does. Like, there's a handful who get to do that, and kudos to them, because that's what the rest of us all dream that's about. That's an awesome job. Yeah. Um, and funny in hindsight that we actually have the core training to do that. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. We totally train dolphins. But actually getting access to the dolphins and everything, mm-hmm. you know, again, kudos to those who get to do it, but... You know, most of the kids who think, I'm going to college to work with dolphins. It's like, no, you're not. Uh, maybe a handful of you across the country or the world are going to get to do that. Awesome. Great. We're all jealous of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also like all the psychology majors who are freshmen who are like, I'm going to be an FBI profiler. Yes. No, there's like 50 spots open or available. <laughs> and most of them are filled with like 30-something-year-olds. So you're, they're not leaving anytime soon. So, no, you're not. Not to mention, that's not a college major. You know, there's not a block they fill out like, what's your major? FBI, future FBI profiler. Nope. You are a general psychology general major. Psych. Embrace it. Or at some colleges as a freshman, pre-psychology. Until you get the first, you know, three core courses done, chill out. Uh, anyway... So uh, other ones I looked at was oceanography, you know, all these other majors that involve like basically living on grant money. Yeah, which is funny because like I ended up going to school for psychology. So you went to Michigan Tech. I went to Michigan Tech in civil engineering because I like to build stuff. And that's what happens when you spend way too much time with Legos as a kid. Mm -hmm. I went to Michigan Tech, majored in civil engineering uh, and hated my classes. How did you find psychology then? Took it as an elective uh, eventually uh, because I'm there and I'm watching, doing labs, like watching cement dry. And Sounds exciting. Yeah, you know, we're doing materials classes and like, ooh, what study rocks? And, um, oh, my favorite is one of my civil engineering classes. Let's learn how to design a wastewater treatment plant. You know, and first off, and it's a chemical process and chemistry majors and chemical engineering majors and environmental engineering majors will relate to this. It is one massive formula from what comes into that plant that goes out. It fit on an entire whiteboard that was really three whiteboards squished together. But I kid you not, if you're not really diehard into this, when you literally, and this was a five day a week class. You're, for two weeks in that class, you talk about nothing other than shit. <laughs> it was two solid weeks of talking about shit. <laughs> Human feces and other waste materials. It's like, yeah, I'm not loving this. Uh, but after my freshman year of college, I got a job at the uh, local road commission in the engineering department. Um, and I'm there, and I'm like, I'm, I had had. Uh, college course in uh, land surveying and I was working originally I was working on the survey crew and on the weekends I was doing construction inspection and I looked and you know I really loved that job that was fun managing construction projects out in the field but that's not what the project engineer did and that's not what the chief engineer did and this is it's a small it was a small county so there's really only there was only three engineers on the staff but the project engineer was the lowest rung guy. Uh, the chief engineer had his uh, PE certification license. Uh, and then the engineer manager was more politics and managing stuff. So really the 
chief engineer was what you would think of, but really he was just signing off stuff. He rarely left the office, and he just got phone calls all day yelling at him. The project engineer got to sign off on the plans that were drawn up by the technicians, and it was the technicians who were out in the field doing the work. And when they felt like not working, it was the college kid like me who was out there making money and paying for school. And, um, you know, they after time, there was a big turnover all of a sudden. <laughs> I think it was like one or two years in. All of a sudden, they had a huge turnover, and the college intern suddenly was the most experienced guy on the staff. So I got started getting the big projects, and I, you know, big in air quotes, because you know, eight hundred thousand, you know, one point two million, three point two million, those were the huge projects for us. And the field engineer on those projects was the twenty, early twenties, late teens, college kid. Out managing on the field, doing the field and you know, field surveying, and you know, I was out there going, you know, this is fun, but I don't want to make a career of it. And you know, ooh, let's take a sample of gravel and go back to the lab on a rainy day and wash it and weigh it. Ooh, not exciting. What I did enjoy though was managing the staff, uh, managing the construction crews, looking at the safety aspects, and uh. Around that time, I took intro to psychology, and you know, I was getting disillusioned with engineering. And it's like, oh, you mean like whatever I do, I could kind of go spin it to go, well, you know, whatever. So it was, I started going that route. Uh, it was kind of fun, but then um, I exhausted all the psychology courses they had at uh, Michigan Tech. What uh, happened then? Well, I had a transfer. Because they didn't have a major. They had just implemented a minor. Um, so I, I transferred out of tech. I had done some independent studies. I had taken every class I had. I had even done some. Uh, my The lead professor at that point had left town and left me in charge to teach like research methods as an undergrad. Which was pretty sweet. Because I was an undergrad. I was getting treated like a grad student. And then I go down to Western Michigan. Um and it was perfect because it was behavioral psychology. It's what's observable, what's measurable. So it tied into my engineering background in terms of I like concrete things. I can see it. I can measure it. I'm analytical. But it's also got that human component. And I learned about organizational management and organizational performance. Uh, I learned about behavior-based safety all things, and at the same time, I'm still working at the road commission. I actually thought I was going to get fired from my road commission job. And when I told my boss that I changed majors, he's like, oh, thank God you can deal with the public more and I can push more off on you. <laughs> like, I actually got a raise out of it where I thought I was going to lose my job. Uh, so continue managing. I did that for, I think I ended up doing five years there. Um Finished up degree in psychology, got a minor in mathematics because I'm a nerd, and because I didn't change majors until I had finished uh, three years of civil engineering and finished all my mathematics classes, including all my calculus, and had gone through all the chemistry and physics, and it's like, what the hell minor do I do to get out of here quickly? Uh, statistics probably would have been a good one, because, but the course yeah. sequence didn't tie in correctly, and I'm like, I didn't want to wait another year for the one of the prereqs to roll around. So I'm like, oh, I'll do mathematics. I don't use stats that much in the field anyway. So. Yeah, I only taught like graduate statistics at one point. So you went to grad school? I went to grad Where school. Where did you go? Who did you study under? 
I wanted a Florida State, and I studied under John Bailey. Awesome. Yeah, go Knowles. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, John Bailey is like, when you think about uh, behavior analysis and behavioral psychology, John Bailey is the man. And especially if you want to talk about uh, ethics of behavioral psychology and behavior analysis, uh, literally wrote the book on it. He is the go-to lecturer on the topic. He wrote the book. Uh, he had a moving force behind certifications, which led into licensure, which, you know, the certification board, everything. John Bailey was a major force behind all of that. Um, and can't say enough about him. I mean, he really is like my my second dad. Uh, so, you know, it was awesome being there. And, you know, growing up in Michigan, you know, aside from the behavioral aspects and the academic aspects, you know, I grew up around, you know, not far from Notre Dame, not too far from U of M or Michigan State. Uh, obviously, we went, he, both of us went to Western Michigan, although Football at Western Michigan at that point was a joke. I mean, the stadium was Waldo Stadium. It's like, where's Waldo? Who cares? Let's go to a hockey game. Uh, went to Michigan Tech. Never went to a football game at Michigan Tech. Because who wants there to go? There's a football team at Michigan Tech? You know what there is? But when when do they play football? Because they, it snows there. They play much. at like 1 in the afternoon, which honestly on a Saturday when I was like there at Michigan Tech for the three years I was there, um, if it was a Saturday, I wasn't even awake till like two in the afternoon, and I definitely didn't want to go sit in the snow on a, on a September afternoon no. uh, when it's snowing, and I definitely didn't want to sit in a snowbank in October for a football game. Nice. Um, and I didn't have the kind of like Antarctica scientific tundra gear that you needed to sit in a football game in November at Michigan nice. Tech. Yeah. No, but you know what? I was a season ticket holder for Michigan Tech Hockey, even though at that point we actually had to pay for those too as students. Never missed a Michigan Tech Hockey game. Uh, but for Florida State football, boy, that was culture shock going down there. And, wow, I still remember my first game. Uh, there was a We had a pipeline of Michigan kids going down there. And. We went, met up at a friend's apartment, had a few beers, and we had some beers in the car. We were going, not the driver. Uh, but we're sitting there, and I'm in the back seat, and I've got a beer. And I'm like, you know, what are the open container laws in Florida? I mean, I, 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 let's not get in trouble. And they're like, look, we pull up to a red light. We're in the middle of Tallahassee. They're like, look at the truck next to us and look at the corner. So I'm looking at all four corners of the intersection, and there's a state trooper on every corner. Yes. Florida State does not mess around. They bring, and well, one, they're covered in cops anyway, because they've got Leon County Sheriff's Department, Tallahassee City Police, Capitol Police, Florida State Campus Cops, uh, Florida AM, FAMU is right there. They've got their cops, they got Florida Highway Patrol, and they bring in all these extra officers for the football games. But, you know, so we're at this intersection, there's cops everywhere. There's a pickup truck next to us. There's a dude in the back of the pickup doing a keg stand. <laughs> light turns green he's still upside down and they pull forward and the cops are just shaking their heads going oh man and the driver looks back at me and the driver's a, a Michigan kid a few years older than me going yeah I don't think they're going to care about you sitting in the back seat with a beer <laughs> no definitely not after that so I was like alright uh, I'm starting to get it and you know down there you know, the 
the alumni start rolling in on Thursday for a Saturday football game with their RVs. And, you know, back then it was a big deal when they showed up with their uh, plasmas and their multiple satellite dishes for their pop-up tents. I mean, now it's not that big of a deal, but, you know, it was kind of, you know, big deal back then when it's like, oh, we got four 10 by 10 pop-up tents and artificial turf and it's a full bar catered and that's their tailgate. And, oh, you're a grad student, come on in. We'll uh, serve you a drink. Yeah, everybody's very friendly down there. Very much so. Everybody's very welcoming. You can join in, even if you're strangers. It's nice. Oh, yeah. Um, so you went to Florida State, and I also went to Florida State, and I know that I had an assistantship for my program. Did you? I did. What did you do? Uh, when I got down there, I was given an assistantship. I initially worked in the schools on the south side of Tallahassee, which is, if you're familiar, Tallahassee is not the nicest part of Tallahassee. Granted, we're not we're not talking like really green in Chicago or anything, but relatively speaking, um, it was a little bit more challenging population to work with. Uh, I initially started at one school and branched out and got into a few other schools. Uh, mainly worked with. The majority of my kids are um, on my client list, what you would describe as the at-risk population. They didn't have a clinical diagnosis, but boy, they had a rough life. They had a rough situation going on, um, and they needed some consistency. So there was a lot of that going on. Uh, a lot of uh, fresh out-of-school teachers who, they were trained how to teach. Uh, but when they tell the kids to open their book to page 12, and the second graders go tell them to go F themselves. They're kind of like, uh, now what? <laughs> so there's a lot of classroom management training uh, that I had to do with them. And on top of it, um, while some of my colleagues got to work with the what we used to call the cutesy clients, the ones that are just so adorable and tug at the heartstrings, uh, my boss was not shy about telling me that she put me in places where she needed uh Someone not only who understood the field of psychology, but also were just big and intimidating looking. It's like, thanks. I've been typecast. <laughs> um, I, I'm like, I'm the hired muscle. She's like, yeah, you're not that in shape. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm, just <laughs> <That's lovely. laughs> I'm just big and ugly, I guess. I don't know what you're trying to tell me. Yeah. Um, she's like, no, you can solve problems, but yes, you're big and intimidating looking. I'm like thinking about like, yeah, some of these kids I had to tangle with uh, were fifth graders, but Boy, they were bigger than me. Um, so I worked at those. Uh, I worked at some, you know, I guess you would call them inner city schools. Uh, even though Tallahassee is not exactly what I think of inner city. Uh, I also worked at a school with kids with special needs, uh, serving um, what you basically preschool up through. At that point, you could attend school up through the age of uh, 21 or 22. Uh, kids with special needs, and those are the ones where I really love that because they did tug at your heartstrings. Those kids, <clears throat> even when they were mis, what you would call misbehaving, or someone would call misbehaving, you know what? They were doing the best they could. They really were nice kids, even when they were beating the crap out of me. Um, uh, it was an interesting setting. There were kids who just went off the deep end. They they couldn't help it. Uh, it was hilarious to watch because because they were so big. Uh, it's one thing when you got elementary, typically developing elementary school kids, or even kids with various uh, developmental or cognitive disabilities 
in an elementary school, that's one thing. When they're basically 15, 16, 20 years old, physically they've developed. And they've got some muscle. They've got some mass. So there are days where, like, the women we worked with were cracking up at the guys on the staff because we're there and we got to wear a polo and khakis. And we're there on a cup and jock underneath. <laughs> and it's ridiculous because we've got this whole David Bowie labyrinth look going on underneath our khakis. <laughs> Look, they don't build dockers with extra expansion joints for you to wear a cup of jock underneath and look like, you know, you're not like you got this massive codpiece bulge going on. <laughs> but that's what it took to, one, serve the client, wear professional attire, but also make sure we can have kids later on. Mm -hmm. So uh, we did what we did. Uh, we, we could do. We, we took a beating. I know you and I, even now, we look back and we look at photos off the old cameras and it's like, oh, there's of us, there's us going to Wakulla Springs, there's us down in Orlando, there's, oh, there's a quarter next to the bite mark on your shoulder. <laughs> oh, look, there's a ruler next to the giant, you know, scratches on my arm that we... Bruise on your leg. We used to, like, have to, like, document and then send them to our boss with, along with our uh, med waiver reports and insurance forms and whatever we did that week in our hourly reports. Uh, so that was my, anyway, long story short, that was my initial uh, assignment. Uh, from there, uh, I also got into teaching. You know, you talked about Rat Lab. Uh, and it, at Western, it was a behavior analysis course. At Florida State, it was conditioning and learning. Uh, I taught that lab. I taught a research methods with statistics uh, lab. I taught applied behavior analysis. I taught a bunch of graduate courses. Uh, but I taught for a while. Uh, eventually, uh, near the end of my doctorate, uh, I took a faculty position, non-tenure track, and uh, did that uh, all the way through past when I finished my um, doctorate. And so I taught, really loved that, and where I got to teach grad students and uh, mentor them on projects and supervise research projects and all through that in between the clinical work, the research work. I had multiple research programs going, kind of had my little fiefdom going of research assistants where I usually had like tears to it. There was like uh, my research assistants, my senior research assistant, my senior associate who like helped manage my research assistants and my clinical uh, assistants who were out in the field with me as technicians. I had some who were working for you after you graduated who are also still falling, you know, technically they were under me and their assignment was to go work for you, yep. which cracked me up. All of these kids were paying for credits mm -hmm. to come work for us for free, which is why we fed them. And if you listen to our last podcast, we were talking about the oyster parties we used to throw out in the competition. Uh, but this was like, this whole crew was our first wave of children. Uh, so when we see their successes and now some of them are starting to finally have kids, it feels like, oh, our children are having children. <laughs> yeah, we're grandparents. Yay. You know, it's, it's somehow like it just doesn't tug at the heartstrings the same way, but it's like as like when they finished their degrees and they got their graduate degrees and they got board certified yeah. and they went on to other Definitely degrees. Definitely got warm fuzzies from that. Got warm fuzzies from that. So happy for them when they got married. And it's kids, it's like, yay, you get to like deal with all the stuff we deal with too. Fun body training. Pretty much. What did you do your thesis and dissertation on? Uh, my thesis was on, was, uh, 
My thesis ended up being on a community-based intervention and evaluating click-it-or-ticket style um, safety programs. The pilot study was probably the most interesting, which was where we were actually changing behavior and getting people to hang up cell phones and buckle up. Uh, the pilot study was great, but when we went to go through the IRB, they were afraid of roid rage. Or not roid rage. Road rage. <laughs> well, there might have been some roid rage, too, because like, we went by a few gyms on the circuit. But we actually, we were out in traffic. We were taking data. at the, We'd stop at a red light. We would take data at the car next to us with the observers from the back seat. The driver just drove. Um, and like the pilot study was like, okay, we're trying to replicate a study that said, hold up a sign that said, please buckle up. I care. Cool. We did that. We also had a police hang up. I care. Pilot study was awesome. So we show in, turn in the pilot data and we, you know, uh, well, we, I also turned in like the proposal for the full on study and the uh, human subjects inter institutional review board goes, yeah, what if somebody gets out of the car and starts beating you with a baseball bat or starts firing off shots at your research team? Like, are you serious? <laughs> so I get like the the cops on board and like, yeah, I'll be fine. And then lawyers get involved and the cops are like, no, nah, we won't support this. And it was, it was a hot mess. So anyway, the, the, my actual uh, master's thesis was uh, evaluating um, the click it or ticket program. And we looked at seatbelt usage. We also did some descriptive data on, you know, prevalence of cell phone usage, which was great. We also had, Reporting data on people eating salads and doing makeups while they're driving. Yeah, people do weird things. My favorite though was how many we did take data on how many police cars were you know police officers were there on their cell phone, not on their radio, on their cell phone while driving. Um. So you know it's just about how effective. You know, we did it before, after, and during. Uh, several iterations of click it or ticket both at the uh, national level and also versions at the local level to see if they're effective my dissertation was um there was a uh, article in the paper i was trying to figure out a dissertation and they had a, a grant to do some uh project to change human vigilance at the local airport and change behavior and it's like well wait a minute i know some of the behavior how long after 9-11 did you do this? Relatively shortly mm -hmm. after. Um, so went out there, talked to them, and they had this whole nice engineering schematic on their whole system, and it was all video analytics and advanced computer systems. And they had this box in their organizational diagram with a big question mark. Like, all right, what's in the question mark? And like, oh, that's the operator. You mean the human? <laughs> Well, why don't you take that out and just automate it? Oh, we by contract we cannot remove a human from the process. Like, okay, so you got a human in the process. And we're thinking, like, well, they gotta have some IT whiz, somebody who's playing video games their whole life. Now we go in and it's like the person working and we it was like me and my doctoral advisor, like the person introduces themselves running this multi-million dollar system. I used to be the meter maid for 20 years. I'm like, That's oh amazing. my god, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Uh, pretty much it was city employees and you get to a certain point in your career and you get retired to this room with all these, you know, it was 20 some computer screens and you're running this huge system. And then of course you got a TV in there 
And there's no sneaking up on them because every time you go through a door, and it was like Get Smart, if anyone remembers that old show, with all the doors, and every time you go through a door, your picture shows up on a screen so they can see you coming. Not only to like see you walking through, but you're there's an alert popping up every time you swipe at a door heading towards them. So there's no popping in and surprising your employees. Um, so I go in and I just start taking you know data on what they're doing. I've got a team and we're doing it, and it didn't take long for them to habituate to us being there. Just you know, at first there's like oh they're all freaked out by having these researchers sitting with them. Less than a week, they are ignoring that we were there. And forget they're supposed to. They have a TV. They're supposed one of the TV or one of the screens is a TV, and they're supposed to be watching the news. What did they watch instead? Uh, at night, it was usually Walker Texas Ranger. <laughs> and during the day, it was usually Judge whoever, Judge Judy, Judge Mathis, Judge Judge whatever, uh, trashy TV. <laughs> I mean that in full endearment. But whatever, like the kind of stuff you watch when you're home with a head cold or something. The prices right is already over. Probably. We weren't taking data during prices right time, but it was like, it was not the news. It was whatever, you know. Uh, This was pre-Wendy Williams, but it would be something like that. (laughs) I know. And it was post-Donahue, but it would have been something like Donahue, too. Jerry Springer? Uh. Jerry Springer wasn't on while we were in there. So we did we were we were sampling throughout the day. But at night, Walker Texas Walker, Texas Ranger was the number one show on it at night. And it was usually trashy. And like like I said, took them less than a week. Took less than a week though. We had one employee who was on his way out, had already given his notice for retirement. Less than a week. He was already looking at porn with like female research oh assistants, undergrads in there. Oh, no. oh, they were just they recorded what was on TV and he didn't care. <laughs> they didn't care at wow. all that like our crew was in there uh, so we we got pretty good data and we did this uh, how long did i do this like a year of just taking data and in addition to that there was the video analytics recording data so i would go in and pull that data and look at it and like look at false positives and false negatives and uh there was quite a bit of data collection going on uh including in addition to the direct observation but it was it was fun. So basically, I looked at Homeland Security. My my actual dissertation is three different studies. Uh, we looked at human vigilance uh, before and after a change in the color coded alert schedule. We looked at what did this uh, system do. I had pre and post uh, across multiple participants what this advanced security system did. And then after they left and their grant money was out, I said, Hey, how about I do a behavioral approach? So then the third study was like, look, this is what I can do for pennies a day um, and see what we can do in human vigilance. We kept doing that. And so that was my dissertation. And as I was running it, uh, word got out what I was doing. And I got recruited to go up to D.C. And it was actually an interesting time. Like um, I was at that point, I I thought I was going to become a full time professor. I was already working and doing it uh, as a position as a professor. I was non-tenure track. I knew I couldn't stay at Florida State because it wasn't not officially stated, but kind of like, you know, they're like, look, you know, we don't want to hire our own dual tenure track position. Like, okay, I, I get it. So I had to look other places and I was applying to other faculty positions at other universities, but uh, I got a job offer at a university in the South. 
not too far, just a few hours from where we were. And the same week, in comes a job offer from D.C. to go private sector and do government contracting. And I had to turn down the professor position. And the uh, the chair of the department is like, oh, so you're just a sellout. It's like, dude, the other offers tripled. He's like, well, you know, the cost of living up in D.C. is more than it is here. I'm like, dude. <laughs> and I'm even saying to him on the phone, Dude, it's not triple the cost of living. They're offering me triple the salary what you are. Um, and if that makes me a sellout, I'm like, look, I want to have a family. I have a wife. You're offering me below market value for a professor. He's like, well, we're a small university. It's like, well, they're an international corporation with full benefits. We like to eat. We like to eat. Uh, so we went up to D.C. And went to work and had an interesting career up there, working for a few companies and all sorts of interesting projects. Started in R&D, went into uh, government contracting and more direct operational and tactical type projects. And it was fun and it was exciting until it was like, you know, I haven't been home in a few days. And... (laughs) I weigh over 300 pounds and I'm collapsing at work because I'm too fat to even take a joke without like laughing so hard I collapse. Uh, And I've got kids I don't see. And, you know, what was it like? You used to have to bring the kids into work. Yeah, we had work picnics with you for dinner. On Sunday night because it's like I haven't seen my children all week. And yeah, Uh, I think somewhere in there, too, we're like, oh. Things are coming up. Actually, at one point, I applied to be a well. A friend of mine asked me, "Hey, do you want to be a adjunct professor?" Which technically, to that university, was assistant professor on a part-time basis. I'm like, well, whatever. Yeah, fine, I'll do it. It's a chance to get back because I can't necessarily talk about everything I'm doing for the clients. And um, of course, by the time you get on the the class list and it gets approved and it goes through we went from having zero kids to having two kids and then my company goes oh we're not only in addition to your day job we're going to do a proposal effort and you're going to be one of the lead technical writers but you get wednesday nights off oh great that's the night i go teach in baltimore so i get to be fit and go into work at like five in the morning work my full day drive up to baltimore how much coffee did you drink a day at that time. Um, you know, I honestly don't know. I drank coffee all day long at work. And then I'd drive to Baltimore and I'd have office hours. And during office hours, I would have a quad espresso and a venti latte. Oh my God. And then I would get another <clears throat> two quad espressos because I taught a three-hour class uh, lecture. And so I'd do two quad espressos and one or two uh, very, like, one liter Mountain Dews uh, during class. Class started at 7 p.m. And I'd go through that class, and then I would finish it, wrap up class, go walk out to my car, and then I'd drive home from Baltimore back to Northern Virginia, you know, which was, and I'd either talk to you or I'd talk to my mom or I'd talk to somebody to help keep me awake because, and it's like, it was surreal because it's like, oh, it's midnight and I'm driving home from teaching and, oh, there's the Capitol. Oh, there's the, you know, the Pentagon. Oh, there's the Washington Monument. And I'm driving past the stuff as I'm cutting through D.C. 
Ignoring the fact that it's DC and it, you know, make a wrong turn, I'll probably get mugged at a red light or something. <laughs> Who knows? And then it was back at work at five or six in the morning. You know, after getting home at you know midnight or one a.m. and you know you can't get out of the car and immediately go straight to bed. So it was really like to bed at two or three and then up at five or six and or at the office at five or six. I had to get up before that because I'd be up and dressed and shaved and showered and caffeinated caffeinated in uh in a suit and of course if you drink too much coffee at work from the you know the company provided us coffee but if you drink too much you got you know they would get on our case about you know the budget it's like look i mean this place runs on coffee we're running global operations here and yeah it's busy when did you when did you leave and what did you go and do after that I left uh, in 2014. Uh, I kind of got enough. I knew, like, health-wise, could not sustain this. Was not in a good place in terms of my personal health. Uh, I was tired of not seeing my wife, not seeing my kids, and tired of just going to work every day because there's, you know, there was a piece to our contracts that, you know, government could cancel at any time. If they felt like so it's like okay well if some congressman you know now it's sad to say but if some congressman you know has a problem with our program and it could be because he wants the money for something in his district could be because we're doing something wrong could be who knows they could cancel at any time so we're constantly writing proposals but you can't just leave them sitting there so you have them staff staffed so we're constantly writing proposals on top of our doing our day jobs and it was so much work. And anytime we won these proposals, it's not like there was any like residuals for the guys who write them. It's just enough. So um, a couple of guys I was working with were like, you know, there's got to be a better way. We could probably do something similar to what we're doing. Where we're doing research. We're doing consulting. We're doing internal organizational <laughs> development for companies. Uh, we should be able to do this for the private sector away from the D.C. bubble. And uh, so we started writing uh, a business plan and a business proposal, and I, we didn't even have it all the way done. And somebody got a hold of my my CV, um, basically my academic resume, and said, "Okay, based on this, I'll fund you uh, a, a large, very large chunk of money." It's like. Okay, it's not quite what we wanted for a five-year plan for our whole company, but it's enough to get started. Uh, so it was enough for me to quit my job and move. And honestly, you and I were talking about where should we go? Should we go to Florida where we had connections and we had friends down there? Or should we go to Michigan? Up here, we had connections at a variety of universities. And not to mention, there was the nice benefit of I'm from here. My parents, I've got siblings here, helpful babysitting the kids, and it's quiet. So we moved here and working on projects for that kind of you know, development for the private sector. And I think we were here, what, less than six months? En enrolled the kids at the school I went to growing up. Mm -hmm. And less than six months in, uh, an email came out for a plea for help. Uh, the track coach had quit at a moment's notice. 
less than a week before the season was started, and I sent an email and said, look, I've got a flexible schedule. I mean, I still have to work, but I can I can bend it around. And, you know, I, I ran track for that school. Um, I, I ran cross country for the school. I have uh, a school, I know it, but, you know, hey, you know, I'm not the fittest of people. And if you got somebody who did it at college level, hire them. So I got called in for an interview. I'm like, look, if I do this, this is how I'm going to do it. Here's the program. I had it written up. There was another candidate. Athletic director comes back I'm like, you're the only one with an actual plan. <laughs> the other guy's just like, yeah, I'll coach. At least that was the story I was given. Uh, so the program I put together, the program I drafted, is the program I still run. Um, I'm in my 11th, between track and cross country combined, my 11th season of coaching now. It's sixth year of coaching. We're still running the same program. It was a, it's been a gradual buildup. Um, still not 100% where we want to be, but changing that culture takes time. Um, but we've made, I think we're like 60% of the seasons. We, we go to state. It's been fun. Mm-hmm. Um, had to completely switch gears because <laughs> I want to save the coaching stuff for like its own full episode. I think it's been multiple episodes, but yeah, it too. it's pretty involved and intense. Uh, can you tell me about your your history with your weight? <laughs> um, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, when you were little, you said that when you were growing up, you were very athletic. So when did you start? Having an issue? Um, you know, I, I was athletic growing up. I was active. Actually, the better way of saying it, I was active growing up. Um, but, you know, even when you look back, and they've changed sizing and styling on pants. But when I was a kid, uh, I wore the husky pants. Mm -hmm. Now, part of that was uh, because I was doing Taekwondo. Because I was doing stuff, and I used to get self-conscious because I would sit next to my, my friends on the bleachers when we were getting ready to do gym, and we'd sit there, and my legs would just like sit down, and there'd be this mush like whoa, of tissue coming out. I had leg muscles from doing taekwondo, but and so part of that was like I just needed a bigger thigh for the pants, so I wasn't necessarily fat. They were big in the waist. I had to wear uh, belts, but I had big thighs. But I was also just kind of like a built kid wasn't fat um but i had to stay active when i stopped being active all the time i stopped doing the taekwondo cross country track wrestling football everything um my senior year i'm like i'm going to school for engineering and i got offered a job at um a local i don't think i should say the name you should not uh, a local international corporation in an engineering capacity. I was doing CAD and it was, it was hilarious because I got hired the summer before I even took drafting at high school. And I had talked to the guy who ran the department and he, I knew him through my dad because it was the company my dad worked at for. I'm like, hey, you know, I hear you hire guys to do drafting. I'm about to take drafting and after my, my senior year of high school, if I could get in, I would love it. A week later, he goes, Show up at this place at this time, fill out some paperwork. They're going to tell you where to go for drug testing, and you're hired. It's like, 
well, crap, I currently have a summer job. This is like in the middle of the summer uh, between my junior and senior years. Uh, so I get hired, I get in there, and then they're like, okay, well, school's starting, what are you going to do? And like, what we'd like you to do is go to high school, and then when you finish the day, come and work four hours every night. And I'm like, there are restrictions on high school students, how many hours you can work with. You know, I could work four hours and basically put in my 20 hours a week at that point. And it was kind of funny, too, because, like, the HR lady knew me because I babysat her grandkids, <laughs> and her boss knew me because I was working as a hot dog vendor that he used to come and get lunch at. Um, so everyone was kind of looking the other way because the other thing was I was supposed to be 18. Uh, but I was 17 at the time when they hired me in. Uh, it was funny because my dad didn't even know I was going to be there. So like, he walked in to see his, his buddy one day, and he's like, what? And basically looking at me like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> um, and then, of course, now in hindsight, he's like, oh, I knew you were going to be there. It's like, really? Because that's not what your face and your voice said the day that I you know, found me working there. Okay, so 20 hours a week is pretty... Well, that was during the school year. But, yeah, so my senior year, I did not do sports. Um, and I also packed on 40 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Uh, got a nice little gut going senior year. Um, then went off to college and, you know, packed on the freshman 15 or whatever. Lost weight doing the road commission stuff and surveying and running around through the woods and having to wear jeans and shirts and sweating all summer. Went back to college, packed on weight, came home, did inspection, working crazy hours, earning money for uh, to pay for college, lost weight. Had this cycle going, but the trend was going up. Uh, by the time I got to my undergrad at Western and I was taking 18, 19 credits and I was doing, I was the uh, officer in multiple honor societies and professional groups and doing research projects on the side, trying to build up my, uh, my, you know, credentials for the apply for grad school just and not sleeping. I mean, towards the undergrad or undergrad, uh, I would go. What was it two or three days without sleep at a time? Uh, I was buying Red Bull by the 48 can case. Uh, it was just a hot mess and the weight was just pouring on. Go to grad school. The first year wasn't so bad. Thursday night was go golfing night. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Um, but it, it quickly went downhill from there when I'm running uh, multiple research teams. I think at the peak, I had seven research projects going at a time, plus doing my clinical work, plus teaching, plus having a fiance at that time. Somewhere in there, we got married. <laughs> um, and it wake out worse. And the, any attempt at exercise went out the window. Uh, we move up to DC, gets even worse, uh, cause I'm working crazy hours in high stress situations. And it's, uh, you know, some of the projects were literally life and death, uh, not mine, but other people, which is, you know, it's that Italian Catholic guilt going on that like somebody depends on me. I cannot give up on this. Um, and eventually got to the point where I was over 300 pounds. Uh, that was part of what gave, like, look, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to walk my daughter, well, now daughters, but that point, daughter down the aisle when she gets married. 
hell, I would like to go to her fifth grade graduation. At that point, I was on a path where I'm probably not going to make it to fifth grade graduation, much less a wedding. Um, so we got out of there. Uh, it's been a huge battle. And we can spend more podcasts talking about the actual ups and downs of it. Uh, it has not been a smooth transition. Uh, and there's been you know decreases and relapses in terms of weight gain. Uh, but working at it, working at it, um, trying to lose weight. Uh, there was, you know, a lot of races and, you know, with, you talked about the last podcast, let's getting into fun races. Uh, you actually got me into the triathlons because you found the aqua bikes and I'm a lousy swimmer. Like I'm a scuba diver. (laughs) I've been a scuba diver since I was 15 and. You know, you put a BC and a tank on me, and I'll go all day. But you want me to, like, just go free swim for speed? Yeah, that's not me. Um, So we did some relays together. And I I even did a triathlon, which I kept swimming off target. (laughs) Like, I have the lifeguard tapping my head. Like, yeah, you're going on the wrong vector here, buddy. Which I'm like, well, you're an engineering student because you said vector. Here's the nice thing about triathlons. The lifeguards are extremely nice. Yeah, but when you're like 35 degrees off course or it's 90 okay. degrees off course. We've um, all been there. It's fine. Yeah, but Kai tries just, I'm loving the whole kayak bike um, and run. That's really just my sweet spot. I love that. And then also like, you know, after we did a few of these, I'm like, man, I'm really tired of riding my mountain bike that I had when I was a junior in college or sophomore college, whenever I got that bike. Like, I'm here and I've got these guys on road bikes and I'm like, I'm pedaling just as fast as they are. And actually, I'm going faster than, you know, making more revolutions than they are. And they're just blowing past me. So finally gave in, went and bought a road bike. After years of swearing, I'm not going to be like my dad with the, like the spandex and like... It's like that milk in the middle thing when uh, the dad gets into speed walking. <laughs> now that's me uh, with the spandex. I still got the mountain bike hat with the visor or er, helmet with the visor. Oh, but that's probably going to go by the wayside soon too because it's not aerodynamic. Just don't get the funny looking hat. The aerodynamic. No, I'll be super aerodynamic. Hat. I'll be wearing a helmet. Okay. But uh, I do have the spandex shorts and the tight shirts, and the nice part is. Fewer fat rolls, lots of loose skin, but fewer fat rolls. I can get away with wearing them now. <laughs> I think I like, uh, nice thing was it was so warm the day after Christmas this year, the local bike club sponsored a ride and I went and it was based on a brewery. So I went a road and I came back and like my mom had saw that I was on, um, they posted on Facebook that I was out for a ride. So they swing by and they find me like sitting out by one of the fire pits um, outside in my little spandex shorts and my spandex shirt, having a beer. <laughs> and other friends showed up and it's like, I wouldn't caught, be caught dead in this stuff like any previous Fire, point yes. in my life. And now I just don't care. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it is. It's a good. It is a good thing. And it's good that I can coach. And everyone's like, oh, we want our kid to work with you. You're such an athlete. And it's like, have you looked at the team photos from just a few years ago where, like, I look like I ate the whole team? <laughs> it's been it's been a journey, and uh, there will be a lot more episodes, I'm sure, talking about it. 
Oh yeah, we could dive into that for hours. Yeah. Okay, but I think that that's a good place for us to end for today. So. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, join us next time when we dive into the Red Arrow Challenge. Ooh, I can't wait. Share this and get this kicked it's off. It's gonna be really exciting. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everybody. Bye. Bye.